Senator Bernie Sanders, socialist from Lundbagia, believes that poverty is virtue. On Monday, Sanders tweeted that he was making less money in the last year than Hillary made for one speech, which is true. He made over $200,000 in 2014, but speaking before Deutsche Bank in 2014, Hillary made $280,000 in one speech. Here's the question. So the hell what? Here's the thing. Hillary's having a rough time in this primary because she's running Sanders' playbook and it simply does not fit. She's super duper wealthy. She used her foundation as a slush fund. She's cultivated warm relationships on Wall Street for literally years. But she isn't corrupt because she's rich. She's corrupt because she's super corrupt. She was corrupt when she was allegedly fired from the Watergate investigation back in the 1970s. She was corrupt when she allegedly engaged in financial improprieties with regard to the Whitewater land deal. She was corrupt when she ran the bimbo eruption unit for the Clinton White House. She was corrupt when she allegedly bought her Senate seat in New York with the help of her husband's pardon of Mark Rich. She was corrupt when she set up a private email server to hide her documents at the State Department. But Bernie Sanders seems to think that only wealth generates corruption. So when she was poor, she was honest. Now she's wealthy and she's not. He is pure as the driven snow, we know, because he's a super old dude who didn't have the foresight to build any wealth over the course of his life. So his stupidity is actually virtue. But those evil people who run Walmart, they are killing us all because they're selfish and they're awful. Even if they hire millions of people and provide millions more with goods and services at affordable prices. They are greedy. Not like those poor people who want to forcibly confiscate my wealth for their own enrichment. Those people aren't greedy because they support Bernie Sanders. So here's the truth about wealth. Wealth merely accentuates what you already are. If you're honest and diligent, wealth gives you the opportunity to use that honesty and diligence to help other people. If you're a corrupt scumbag, wealth gives you the power to be a more corrupt scumbag, as we see from Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Values matter, wealth level doesn't. And in a free system, wealth tends to follow people who make rational, responsible decisions that provide goods and services to other people. Unfortunately, our system itself has become so corrupted by the big government Bernie Sanders loves that corruption can also earn you a pretty big check, which is how the Clintons got rich. But for Bernie Sanders, the downtrodden in a free system are the wellsprings of virtue. The wealthy are exploitative demons. He doesn't explain precisely what level of wealth crosses the line, presumably not $200,000 a year, but it happens at some point. You get so rich that you become corrupt. Thus, wealth itself has to be stopped so that we're not corrupted by its taint. If we were all equal in poverty, we would all be equally saintly. Except, of course, that human nature doesn't really change. Countries without wealth are not more virtuous than their rich brethren. In fact, they seem to have more violence and more chaos and more rape and more looting, since it turns out those things are preconditions for permanent poverty. Individuals without wealth in a free system, they're not better people than the people with wealth. On average, individuals who are permanently poor are people who make poor decisions. To instill virtue to make better people requires just one thing, a free and open system that rewards good decisions and punishes bad decisions. That's what the market tends to do. But Bernie Sanders, as a godlike wise man, feels that he can dictate virtue if only he's given total control, which, as it turns out, is the worst vice of all. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So I know everybody in the studio is really excited to rock right now. I've been informed about this repeatedly. Inside joke for, for people who are not in the studio. Literally every day, at least two of the people in this studio lead off the program by reciting the lyrics to I Want to Rock right now. And right now, right now, right, exactly. there they are, both of them sounding off. Really appreciate your voice being added to the mix. We will rock right now in just a second. But first, we have to 
say hello to our friends over at Hillsdale College. Hillsdale College, one of the premier educational institutions in America, a place that still believes in Western civilization. And it's not just for your kids. It's for you. So if you want to know more about the Constitution, how it operates, if you believe that the presidency of the United States is not the God-King position that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton believe it to be, then you need to go over to hillsdale.edu slash ben, hillsdale.edu slash ben, and you need to go and download, and they'll email it to you, a course called Presidency and the Constitution. They explain what the Constitution actually means for the President of the United States. The only way we're going to be able to save the Constitution is if you know it and the people that you know know it. And that's why you need to go to hillsdale.edu slash ben, download the course. It's a great course. They do a wonderful job at Hillsdale College. Okay, so yesterday we talked uh, a significant amount about Donald Trump and his sort of call to violence. So Donald Trump, just to, to reiterate, Donald Trump is, is now, a, he's a gangster. He's, he's walking in, he's saying, let me tell you, if you have the, that, there's a beautiful bar you have here. It's an amazing bar. It's an amazing bar. And let me tell you about this bar. If you do not pay your payoff today, it would be a real shame, a real shame, let me tell you. If somebody would come in here and break all your bottles and burn it down and kill your wife and children, it would be a shame if this were to happen. I couldn't stop it. I'm not saying it would be good, but it would be a shame if that were to happen. So he's doing that with the RNC now. And here's Donald Trump basically saying that. The system is a bad, bad system. And they got to do something about it. The Republican National Committee, they better get going. Because I'll tell you what, you're going to have a rough July at that convention. You better get going and you better straighten out the system because the people want their vote. The people want to vote and they want to be represented properly. Okay, so they want to be represented properly, and if they don't get it, they're going to burn the house down. It would be a shame if that were to happen. And he said that. He said it would be a shame if there were to be riots, if there would be violence. But people are angry. And can we stop people from being angry? Well, this, by the way, has been what incipient dictators have always said. You know, they've always said, well, it's not me. I'm not calling for violence. I would never do such a thing. But if violence were to break out because I don't get what I want, what can I do? Now, you would imagine, there's a Trump spokesperson who's on TV last night, I think he was on uh, Fox News, and he was talking about this quote from Trump. And he was asked Some specifically about, about Trump's comments, and you would expect the spokesperson to do what spokespeople typically do, to say, no, Trump definitely was not saying violence is okay, we would never want to see any violence. He was just noting descriptively that there could be violence, the last thing he wants to see is violence. That's not what Trump's people say. So here is Trump's spokesperson yesterday, and you'll be able to hear it, talking about how you should construe Trump's comments. It's amazing. Some people interpret Trump's comments as, in effect, a cloaked threat, saying that if you deny me the nomination, listen, I can't control my supporters. They're so devout this might happen. Is that an unfair characterization? Look, you, you can interpret it any way you want, but he was pretty clear in indicating that that is something that's not going to happen. However, he is sort of channeling well, the anger that a lot of people feel. Look, take Georgia, for example. Okay, we can stop it right there. That's, that's the relevant portion, right? You can interpret it in any way you want. Well, I'm interpreting it the way it sounds, which is that he's making threats. And guess who else is interpreting it that way? Donald Trump's droogs. So for people who don't know A Clockwork Orange, the droogs are like all of the, the super ultra-violent friends who go around breaking things because they're, because they're evil and they're, sociopath and they're sociopathic. So Trump's droogs, are, it's, this whole, it's not all the Trump voters, by the way. It's a very small subset of Trump voters. And they're going around threatening people, and they're enjoying threatening people. So I host a, another show in the mornings. I co-host another show in the morning. It's called The Morning Answer. Uh, in Los Angeles and Orange County. And one of the callers today called in to talk about Donald Trump's call to action slash violence. 
And here's what, what he had to say. It's a little bit frightening. The word, we will certainly stomp some rump in Cleveland. But unlike uh, Whoa. Ben. Why are you following your God King to a riot in Cleveland? <laughs> I said if Trump gives us the word, we will stomp some rump in Cleveland. Right, I understand. I why, are oh, you wow. wait, why are you waiting for orders from your God King? And what happens if he tells you to jump off a cliff? Will you do this also? Well, are, are you still are you still listening, Ben? I was. You didn't say anything, <laughs> and that's essentially how the call ended. But they, they're waiting for the word from their God King to stomp the romp in Cleveland. I don't know what this means. I, I, my guess is that means it's some sort of pop cultural reference of which I'm unaware. Stomping the romp. I don't. I don't know what that means or why that's a thing or or if he's just come down with Sarah Palin rhyming disease. Which is, which is apparently afflicting the population in greater and greater doses. It's like leprosy of the tongue, and, and you just start rhyming randomly. It's very bizarre. But there, there is this tendency, and you're hearing it from the Trump people, yes, we're going to participate in violence. Now, I pointed this out this morning on Twitter, and people say, oh, you can't just take one call. I mean, what, how dare you take this one call and use this as representative? Okay, let's not take one call. Let's use Roger Stone, who's a Trump surrogate. Here's what he said on April 5th. Quote, we're going to have protests, demonstrations. We will disclose the hotels and the room numbers of those delegates who are directly involved in the steal. If you're from Pennsylvania, we will tell you who the culprits are. We urge you to visit their hotel and find them. That's a Trump surrogate, Roger Stone, who is truly one of the more disgusting people in politics. Yesterday, a Trumpster, Trumpster Fire online activist, Gary Forbes, posted on Facebook. Here's what he posted. He says, we are urging groups in Colorado and Wyoming to organize and mobilize against this complete blatant corruption by making a stand. The delegates chosen in these states without any election, all caps, must not be allowed to vote. And then he continues, we should create a team of aggressive pro-Trump groups, including bikers, truckers, unions, and support groups, and all caps, do not let these people make it to Cleveland in July. Be creative. Find any legal means to see to it that they don't even make it to the airport. He urged at least 500 protesters to show up outside delegate homes and to, quote, reach out to all large pro-Trump groups to show the anger and might of the American people, and then added ominously, keep the demonstrations peaceful as long as that delegate does not switch his or her vote. This will make them think twice about defying the will of we the people. Right, the we the people. I, I, I do love that, that the, the founding document, the first few words of the founding documents of the United States, which talk about how we achieve political change inside of a system created by the founders, now they're citing we the people as an excuse to go and burn crap down if they don't get their way. And this is the Trump campaign in a nutshell. David French, who's a great, great, he's my favorite columnist at National Review. And there are, there are a couple at National Review I really like. Kevin Williamson is terrific. David French, I think, is, is the most underrated columnist at National Review. He has a piece there today called Donald Trump's Counterfeit Masculinity. And I think that this is what's going on. It's interesting. Maybe this is not representative, but in my own kind of asking around of, of human beings, who they tend to like as a, as a candidate. What I've found is that people who are married, particularly younger people who are married, tend not to like Trump. Younger people who are, who are single tend to have more of an adoration of Trump. The reason for this, I believe, is because when you get married, and the type of person who gets married is the person who believes that masculinity has to be our aggressive instinct. As males, we are aggressive. We just naturally are. Our aggressive instinct can be either used to conquer things and break things and loot things and rape things, or it can be channeled toward actual responsible behavior. This is what Western civilization does. This is why we are not animals. We channel our aggressive instinct toward protect and defend your wife, 
protect and defend your family, protect and defend your country, go out and be productive, earn, right? All of our, our worst instincts, or at least our more, most powerful instincts, are channeled towards something good. But for Trump people, they love the fact that Trump is the gangster. They love the fact that Trump is the gangster. So Andrew Clavin has talked about why it is that men like gangster movies, right? He's talked about this on his show before, and, and there's nobody better, by the way, in the United States at breaking down popular culture than Clavin. And when, when he says that men like gangster movies, what Drew says, and he's right, is he says men like gangster movies because it gives us the chance to be cathartic. This is what men would do if there were no rules, right? They would go around, they'd, they'd just go after whatever woman is available, they'd, they'd do whatever they want to these women, they'd treat them like garbage. They'd be Donald Trump, right? They'd be violent, and they'd be thuggish, and they'd take what they want, and nobody could stop them. And so men particularly like these gangster movies. It's why I can watch The Goodfellas, even though it's not my favorite movie. If it's on TV, I'll watch it. If my wife watched 10 minutes of The Goodfellas, she wouldn't like it. She'd want to turn it off because she'd look at it and she'd say, this is vile. These people are vile. Men look at this and they say, yeah, those guys are vile, but man, look at them. I mean, that's a lifestyle, right? And, they, and young men particularly who have never been trained in the ways of masculine civilization about being a gentleman, right, about being bound by certain rules of responsibility and behavior, they embrace the Donald Trump vision of the world. They embrace the Donald Trump virile but toxic masculinity. And this is what David French writes. He says that, Feminism has basically taught you that all males are is that aggressive, nasty instinct. They, they've ignored the fact that, that that aggressive instinct is channeled toward good things. Instead, they've conflated masculinity with aggressive, nasty masculinity. And here's what David French writes, and I think this is right. He says, men are left confused, aimless, and often angry. They simply can't and won't conform to a genderless society because the, the feminists want to rip away masculinity completely because they say it's negative. He says, absent exposure to these few American subcultures that still retain an understanding of distinctly virtuous masculinity, they live in a state of frustration, with many ultimately embracing negative stereotypes, living a life in full reaction against feminism. While not rapists, they are predators, seeking serial sexual conquests. While not criminals, they are bullies, using threats and swagger to get their way. Life is about women, winning, and women and money are the ways in which they keep score. And Trump is their hero. To enter the world of the pickup artist, or the segments of the so-called men's right movement, is to enter the world of the Trump fanboy. Trump has, quote-unquote, tight game, to borrow the phrasing of Chateau Hertiste, a popular website for frustrated male millennials. He's the ultimate alpha. And this, I think, is right. The problem, as David French points out, is number one, this makes for worse men. And number two, this justifies the feminist movement. This makes the feminist movement what it is, because now the feminist movement can point to Trump and they can say, see, this is what we're fighting. So the feminist movement has lost steam, because it turns out, that without men in society, men acting like men to protect good people in society, there is no civilization. It doesn't exist. Without the gentleman, there is no civilization. There's only brutality. And so the feminists have no place to go unless there is a revitalization and revivification of nasty masculinity for them to fight. And that's what Trump is. So when he threatens to riot, there's a whole group of people who are on board with that because they feel like that's just being, that's just swagger, that's, being, that's him being him. And it really is attractive. It's good that he's doing all of this. Okay, well, if you are worried, folks, about intrusion on your privacy, if you're worried about people getting a hold of your private email information, you're worried about the, any god king, Obama, Trump, Hillary, any god king or queen taking your email information, if you're worried about corporations getting a hold of your information and using it to market to you or distribute to other folks, you need to go to reaganprivacy.com. ReaganPrivacy.com. You get an email address there, and it's your name at Reagan.com. So Ben Shapiro at Reagan.com. And they will never, ever use any of your information. They won't give it to the government. They won't give it to marketing entities. 
And unlike a lot of the email providers like Google or Yahoo or AOL or Hotmail, they don't copy or sell a single word of your emails to anybody. So go to reaganprivacy.com to get that email address. Again, it's also cool because you're linked with President Reagan, the last good president in the United States. You're, you're, you're linked with President Reagan in your emails, which is really neat. And uh, if you go to reaganprivacy.com right now, then uh, you will get two months for free, which is very cool. Okay, so while Donald Trump is, is running roughshod over everybody, and I, I think this, this ties in to, it ties into what's happening in New York. So today is the New York primary. I expect Donald Trump to do very well. I'm not as, as sanguine and optimistic as, as Clavin. Clavin thinks that Trump is going to underperform a little bit. I think he's going to overperform because I have no faith in the, in the genius of the, of the people of New York who have demonstrated, I mean, these are people who, who elected Robert F. Kennedy, the third senator from Massachusetts, and Hillary Clinton, the third senator from Arkansas. So, you know, the, these are folks who are basically willing to vote for anybody who gives them a little head rub. But the fact is that the, 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 big, the big move today, the, the, the big move today is, uh, is in New York. Trump is going to do very well. And he's been endorsed by a lot of the upstanding New York figures. This is why Trump is, is doing well in New York, because New Yorkers have the sense of themselves. They are the center of the universe. All life revolves around them. The famous New Yorker cover, which is uh, it's a great New Yorker cover, and this is how they perceive themselves from the 1970s. It shows a map of the United States, and the map of the United States is New York here, and then nothing for about two inches, and then L.A. Like the rest of the country just doesn't exist. It's just New York and L.A. and then water. And for New Yorkers, that's how things operate. And you can sense that. Trump is one of them, and so they're going to back Trump. And so the more... The more gangster New York Trump is, the more Joe Pesci Trump is, the more they like him. Here's Rudy Giuliani endorsing Donald Trump, and it, it, it is pretty amazing. You are going to vote for Trump, but you won't endorse him. Okay, so I'll endorse him. I mean, you know, but I'm not part of the campaign. But what's the difference? There That's what no I don't difference. understand. Why don't you say, I'm Rudy Giuliani. I mean a lot in New York politics. Okay, I'm Rudy I Gi endorse Donald Trump. Okay, I'm Rudy Giuliani. I mean a lot in New York politics. I endorse Donald Trump, but I'm, but I'm not part of the campaign. Well, I don't understand. What does that last part mean? What does mean? that mean is I'm not a surrogate. They haven't asked me to do anything. I'm not involved in the campaign. I'm not uh, called upon to give advice except a few times when I've uh, volunteered it. I'm not part of the campaign apparatus. I don't want people to think I am. So how's that different than Mayor de Blasio saying I endorse Hillary Clinton? I think, I think he's part of her organization. I'm not. But, but, but I'm willing to accept. If you want to interpret that as an endorsement. Well, you were really strict uh, about it the last time. I am really, I'm really, I'm really, uh, you can interpret it as an endorsement, but I'm just not part of the campaign. Okay, the reason that Giuliani <laughs> keeps saying he's not part of the though. campaign. I mean, if you heard me talking to somebody else about that. The reason that, that he keeps saying he's not part of the campaign is because he doesn't actually want to defend Trump. Because Trump is indefensible. So Giuliani wants to say he backs him, but he doesn't actually back him so that he doesn't have to answer for him. But he's getting behind him anyway. Perhaps it's because once you've had your fake boobs felt up by Donald Trump, as Rudy Giuliani has, then you then you have to back him. I guess that that's that's some sort of tribal New York thing. There is actual tape of this. There's some dinner. You remember there's a big deal made out of this in 2008 when there's pictures of Rudy Giuliani dressed in drag. What people forget is that at the end of the video, Trump appears from nowhere and starts feeling up Rudy Giuliani. New York values. Well, these New York values mean that New Yorkers love Trump. They're into it. They like the fact that he does this whole I work with mobsters. I'm a, I'm a man on the make. I'm willing to thug it up. They like this about him. Carl Palladino, who's a congressman from New York, he says that if the establishment forces Trump out, the GOP is over. Uh, if, it's not the, if it's not the people's choice, then these Republican leaders should be, a, they, they, they should be driven from the party. And the only way to do that is to stay home and put the Republican Party to bed once and forever. Uh, they don't own it. It's not theirs. It belongs to the people. 
They have no choice. They, if they fool around with Rule 40B, it's wrong. We all know that. The people know that. And their reaction, I can't predict. Neither can uh, anybody else that I know. We don't know what the reaction of the public's going to be. But okay. certainly, I'll be asking people to stay home. So more, more, they, more threats. They try to put more nastiness. And, and that's, that's just the way that this works. And what you can see is that all of New York is coming together around Trump because Trump is a reflect. He is. I mean, when Cruz said Trump is New York values, this is right. And all that New York is, is showing today, and they will show today, is that Trump is the reflection of their values. If Trump is your values, that's something wrong with you. That's something wrong with your values. There are reason to back Trump other than him reflecting your values. But in New York, they actually like his values. It makes them happy. You'll see. Okay, so Daily Show, right, which is the single most unfunny show in the history of television now. I mean, it's, it's since Jon Stewart left, it's gone from funny but, but horrible to horrible and also horrible. So now they, they, dispatched a, they dispatched somebody out to the streets of New York to ask New Yorkers what they thought New York values means. And you will see, this is why people support Donald Trump. Okay, maybe Ted Cruz is wrong to attack New York for its values. It is a melting pot of ideas and cultures. That said, I live here and there is still plenty to criticize. So Ted, the next time you want to on this city, ask a New Yorker. There are so many things you could complain about, like our arts. Try getting a ticket. Or complain about our infrastructure. How are you still digging? They've been digging for two years. Our commutes. In the <laughs> our many great restaurants. I'm at brunch right now. Or take a shot at our quality of life. It costs 5000 a month to live here. And it comes with a roommate we're out of toilet paper we don't even have a bathroom wait where have you been but don't with our values because we accept all people okay well so this is, not all so th this is is there anything you would like to say to ted cruz, you, ted cruz. okay so wow. okay we can stop right there this is th th right this is trump this is trump we're proud of the fact that we live in squalor we're proud of the fact that we have crappy musicals like Hamilton, which, by the way, I've been listening to and trying to listen. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. As a fan of musical theater, it's a travesty. It's like it, it, it is as Rodgers and Hammerstein would come back and claw their own ears off just to, if, they, if they were forced to listen to this. The fact that it's at the, the Rodgers Theater in New York City is a disgrace to Rodgers. What a, what a garbage musical. I mean, I'm just I haven't seen it. I've just listened to the cast recording. Wow. Wow. But beyond that, beyond that. Okay, so but but the idea is that New Yorkers are so proud of the fact that they that they live in squalor and that and their city is replete with all of these problems of quality of life that they're they're really happy with Donald Trump because he's one of them. He's one. This is New York tribalism. So Ross Dudat, who's the only decent columnist at the New York Times now, he he has a really good column about how New York values are Trump values, and he says and this starts with the New York media's longstanding love affair with Trump his intimate relationship with the city's glossy magazines and tabloids and networks. He says, why do Americans believe in the idea of Trump as the world's greatest businessman, the playboy with the Midas touch? Because that's the story the New York-based media, not talk radio, but Time and Vanity Fair and Prime TV, spent years and decades telling them. He says this gave Trump a huge advantage when he started pandering to the right-wing fever swamps. If some drawling Southerner in an ill-fitting suit had shown up on TV promising to send investigators to hunt down the president's real birth certificate, much of the media would have covered him as a cross between late career Sarah Palin and David Duke. But Trump was a pal, a get, ratings gold. Trump was just playing a part. Trump was part of their scene. So he kept getting and still gets the celebrity treatment. 
rather than the mix of ostracism and horror a cultural outsider would have reaped. New York values have been crucial because Trump's success has revealed how much the conservative media is infused with a distinctively Big Apple style. Think of Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and other Trump-enabling Fox News personalities. He says, mostly Northeastern white guys with outer borough effects and more of ethnic Catholicism's pugilism than its piety. Think of Rudy Giuliani and the Trump-endorsing Post and the Wall Street Journal editorial page. They all have a style that reflects New York's distinctive culture, worldly, striving, ever so impolite, and its distinctive right-of-center constituencies, Manhattan hedge funders, Staten Island cops, which means their conservatism differs in large ways and small from the conservatism of Utah or Texas or Wisconsin. For Trump, gatekeepers are willing to overlook, to forgive, to tolerate, because he's a New Yorker just like them. And he, he concludes, one of the many lessons is that if authoritarianism really comes to America, it won't come slouching out of a dark heart of middle America, wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross. A flag pin it will have, no doubt, but on the other lapel will be a button that says, I love New York. And that's right. That's right. Trump represents these, he's rude, he's brutal, and that's, and that's what New Yorkers like to think of themselves as, and therefore it's okay for him to be all of these things. And it's okay for him to be stupid as he wants to be, by the way. You know, he said something yesterday that if Ted Cruz says it, it's, it destroys him. It's, it's, it's end of the world for him in New York. It's just more evidence that he's out of touch. It's clip 22. Here's Donald Trump talking about 9-11, but he gets something wrong. And I wrote this out, and it's very close to my heart because I was down there, and I watched our police and our firemen down on 7-11, down at the World Trade Center, right after it came down. And I saw the greatest people I've ever seen in action. I saw the bravest people I've ever seen. Okay, so yes, he just called 9-11, 7-11. He saw them down at the Slurpee machine, really rescuing folks down at the 7-11. Now, it's just a gaffe, right? I mean, it's just a gaffe. But the thing about gaffes, what, what gaffes are, is reinforcement of what people think that you are. Donald Trump, he likes to play the 9-11 card a lot. Donald Trump and 9-11, let's just say that, that he is he has bragged about his sort of connections with 9-11 a lot. But he's failed to back them up. So he said he gave lots of money to 9-11 funds. No, he hasn't. He actually took money, apparently, according to reports. He took money from 9-11 fund to rebuild some of his buildings, even though they weren't damaged by 9-11, according to him. Donald Trump says he has hundreds of friends, hundreds, who perished in 9-11. In he can't name one. He was asked specifically by the Daily Beast, give me a name. And he couldn't come up with one. Right? Donald Trump is the guy who, who says about 9-11 that, nine, that it, was, it, was, it may have been an inside job that Bush knew about, basically. Donald Trump, and I, but, but because he's from New York, he gets away with all this stuff. It's just him being brash and rude. It's him being stupid. So here, it's, it's the same routine with, with Rex Ryan. So the Trump sideshow continues. Rex Ryan, who's the former coach of the New York Jets, he says he admires Trump a lot. And here's what it sounds like. There's so much that I admire about Mr. Trump. But one thing I really admire about him is, you know what? He's, he'll say what's on his mind. And so many times... You'll see people, a lot of people want to say the same thing, but there's a big difference. They don't have the courage to say it. They all think it, but they don't have the courage to say it. And Donald Trump certainly has the courage to say it. And that's what I respect. And you know what? So do the people of New York. They have so much courage. They have so much courage to back Donald Trump. And that's what courage is. By the way, Trump thing came out and called Rex Ryan a two-time championship winner. He won zero championships with the New York Jets. So it's sort of like Trump's wealth. It's, a, it's mildly exaggerated. So, you know, this is, this is the Trump routine. This is why he's succeeding. If he were from the middle of the country, it would be over for him. He's from New York, so you can get away with saying terrible, horrible things 
because New Yorkers are known for saying terrible, horrible things. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz is, is unable to buy a cup of coffee from the media. The media just continue to cover Trump incessantly, nonstop. But you can tell a lot about a guy from his enemies. So Trump's enemies range from the mainstream media, good enemy to have, sometimes the mainstream media, to folks like National Review, people like me, people like Mark Levin and Eric Erickson, people who normally would be considered pretty solid conservatives, but have now been considered conservatives because we don't back the God King Trump. You can tell a lot about a guy by his enemies. Here's just a taste of Ted Cruz's enemies, and this is why Ted Cruz is a good candidate, and this is why Ted Cruz, not a good candidate, but, but, a, but a, a, a good thinker. Ted, here's Cecile Richards. Cecile Richards is the head of Planned Parenthood. And what she's about to say is perhaps the most unself-aware thing anybody has ever said in American politics. Is the head of Planned Parenthood talking about Ted Cruz with Hillary looking like a ghoul behind her. Well, as my mom, the late Governor Ann Richards, would say... A woman voting for Ted Cruz is like a chicken voting for Colonel Sanders. Right? And there's Hillary chuckling in the background. Okay, so a woman voting for Ted Cruz is like a chicken voting for Colonel Sanders. It's slightly awkward to say this when you legitimately run a national organization with outlets that kill human beings and then sell their body parts in buckets. It makes it kind of awkward for you to go the Colonel Sanders route when you're the Colonel Sanders of babies. Right, it makes it kind of weird and kind of awkward. But these are the people who hate Ted Cruz, right? The folks who hate Ted Cruz. Cecile, Cecile Richards isn't ripping, ripping Trump this way. Why? Because Trump has plan, praised Planned Parenthood. Trump has said Planned Parenthood is great. Here's another enemy of Ted Cruz, Peter King. Peter King is very upset with Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz is, is in favor of certain limitations on government surveillance. So here is Peter King, a loudmouth from New York, who I believe is now a Trump supporter, talking about Ted Cruz. Any New Yorker who even thinks of voting for Ted Cruz should have their head examined. Okay, well, there's a little turnabout. Here. So, wait a minute. Wh what happens tonight on the Republican side? How big does Donald <laughs> Trump win? For, by the way? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, in case anybody gets confused, I am not endorsing Ted Cruz. I hate <laughs> Ted Cruz. And uh, I think I'll take cyanide if he ever got the nomination. Now, having said that, wow. uh, I think uh, you're going to see Donald Trump scoring a big victory tonight. I've not endorsed Donald Trump. In fact, I actually voted by. Uh, uh, absentee ballot for John Kasich. I've been endorsing Trump, but I voted for him to really send a message. But I think Trump is going to win big. Okay, so establishment Republicans like Peter King also hate Ted Cruz. They hate him less than they hate Donald Trump, right? He, he, he's said before he doesn't like Trump. He's never threatened to uh, commit suicide should Trump take the nomination. By the way, him pledging to take cyanide if, if Cruz wins the nomination may in fact be the single best case Cruz has ever had for Cruz winning the nomination. And then there's Ted Cruz, and, and Ted Cruz being blasted by, by gay groups who are very upset with him because he believes that, for example, businesses should be allowed to cater to whom they want to cater to, and because he also believes that my little girl should not have to sit in a bathroom next to a guy whipping out his very feminine junk to pee. So he's asked about all of this by a gay voter on Good Morning America, and, and here's how Ted Cruz handles it. Hi, I'm a lifelong Republican, yeah. and I've been married to my husband for two years now, and my question is, I've noticed a lot of religious freedom laws mm -hmm. and somewhat institutionalized discrimination laws happening around the country. What would you as president do to protect me and my husband from that institutionalized discrimination? Well, listen, when it comes to religious liberty, religious liberty is something that protects every one of us. It is the very first amendment, the very first phrase protected in the first uh, amendment of the Bill of Rights. And, and religious liberty, it applies to Christians, it applies to Jews, it applies to Muslims, it applies to atheists. 
and, and all of us, we want to live in a world where we don't have the government dictating our beliefs, dictating how we live. We have a right to live according to our faith, according to our conscience. And that freedom ultimately protects each and every one of us. And, and, and we shouldn't have the right to force others to knuckle under and give up their faith and give up their belief. And, and for me, I mean, I have spent my entire adult life fighting to defend religious liberty, fighting to defend the freedom of every one of us to seek out and worship God. And I think keeping government out of the way of your lives protects the freedom of every, every one of us. Okay, and this is a great answer because the guy asks him a false question, which is, they're discriminating against gay people because of these laws. And he's saying, no, you're discriminating against religious people, essentially, if you want the government to force religious people to have to sin. And this is a very good answer. But you can, again, you can see who are the people who oppose Cruz. The people who oppose Cruz are invariably the left and the establishment. Those are the people who oppose Cruz. But somehow Cruz has become the establishment guy because Trump bends reality to his whims because the media go right along with this bending of reality. And now you're starting to see that, uh, and I, I think this is what happens, there's a certain fatigue that's now setting in among the people who are fighting Trump, a certain fatigue. Because they're looking at these results and they're saying, okay, Trump has won, let's say Trump wins 30-some states, and let's say Cruz wins 13. John Podhoretz, over a commentary, said this today. He says, let's say that he doesn't get to 1237, but let's say that he wins 1100 and he's got 33 states and, and Cruz has 13. It's gonna be hard for Cruz to take the nomination under those circumstances you know, you may just have to give it to Trump. Giuliani says the same thing. Mitt Romney is saying this. He's saying Trump may hit 1237 if, if John Kasich stays in the race, which John Kasich is going to do. Do you think that we're headed on the Republican side to an open convention, what people call a contested convention? Do you think that's where it's all headed? You know, I think that depends on um, whether or not uh, Mr. Cruz and Mr. Kasich both stay in the race aggressively through California. Uh, if they're uh, uh, both going at it uh, aggressively uh, right until the very end, then I think it's very likely that Mr. Trump uh, wins on the first ballot. Uh, and I say that because I think uh, uh, Cruz and, and Kasich uh, divide the vote, if you will, and, and that would make it easier for Mr. Trump to win the winner-take-all congressional districts and the winner-take-all states and get the delegates he needs either to reach the 1237 or to get close enough to it that he could persuade the uncommitted delegates uh, that he'd need to to get the uh, victory on the first ballot. And Fox on the other hand, to do this if too, either way. Mr. Cruz or Mr. Kasich uh, decides to become inactive, if you will, um, after New York, then I think it's likely we get to a contested convention. And at that point, um, you know, the bets are it's going to be Cruz, Kasich, or Trump. Hard to hard to figure out which one would ultimately be able to put together the coalition necessary to get the uh, the majority. Okay, so and, we can stop uh, it there. But, but it, Romney, you can hear, he's starting to get resigned to all of this. And there are folks all over who are starting to get resigned to the possibility of a Trump nomination. One quick additional note on the New York Values stuff about Trump and the New York media and how they have pu pushed him all the way. Sherry Jacobus is a political consultant who is, she's now sued Trump for defamation. She sued Trump for defamation because Trump claimed that the reason she was anti-Trump is because she wanted a job with his campaign and he refused it. In reality, she was recruited by his campaign and she refused the job because she didn't want to work with them. The, the telling part of her lawsuit is this. This is from her lawsuit today. At the lunch, Corey Lewandowski, who's Trump's campaign manager, asked Jacobus in sum and substance if she was under a contract with any of the television networks. Jacobus replied that she was not, but would like to be. Lewandowski responded to this reply by stating that Trump was very close to Roger Ailes, the head of Fox, and that after the campaign, Trump could probably pick up the phone and get Jacobus a Fox contract. Lewandowski also noted Trump was great friends with Bill O'Reilly of Fox News and Joe Scarborough, 
host of Morning Joe on MSNBC. That's not the end of the story. Okay, at the uh, there was another meeting, and during the meeting, Lewandowski quote became increasingly agitated and rude, speaking in a loud voice and seeming to lack control. Lewandowski made several inappropriate remarks, bragging about yelling at Megyn Kelly, and again bragging about Trump's relationship with Roger Ailes and insisting. In response to Jacobus's suggestion regarding media coverage, that they could do whatever they wanted with Fox and had them on their side. Jacobus politely countered this point by stating she understood that Ailes let each Fox News show, quote, do its own thing. Lewandowski stated, you have absolutely no idea how Fox works. Lewandowski continued that he and Trump had dinner with Ailes recently and had assurances that Fox was on board. Jacobus was astonished Lewandowski would openly make such a statement to her. Lewandowski then took from his desk drawer a printed copy of an email from Ailes to Trump in which Ailes communicated to Trump, as the head of Fox News, communicated to Trump that Trump should let him know what Fox could do to help. The printed email included a handwritten note from Trump to Lewandowski with a notation which stated in sub and substance, Corey, FYI. In other words, Trump is part of the media establishment. Fox News responded to this by saying, it's hardly uncommon for Ailes to sign correspondence by offering a helping hand. It would be a fanciful interpretation to equate a cordial email with providing assistance to a political candidate in the vein of editorial coverage. So one of two things is true here. Either Fox News is lying, or one of three things. Either Jacobus is lying, none of this is true, the email doesn't exist. Or Ailes is lying, and they actually have a tacit agreement with Trump. Or, most likely, Trump is lying, and Lewandowski is lying. They don't have a tacit agreement with Fox, but they feel very comfortable. They feel very comfortable. And that comfort level is now creating a feeling of inevitability that surrounds, the, that surrounds Trump. And that feeling of inevitability is beginning to infect even the people who are anti-Trump. People just saying, fine, give it to him. If he's going to threaten riots, that's what we got to go for. Donald Trump is the Marion Barry of this election cycle. Marion Barry was the former D.C. mayor. And before he was mayor, he was an agitator. He was a racial agitator. And what he used to do is he used to go to the powers that be and he used to say, you need to sign into law some regulation or bill benefiting this particular set of black people. And if you don't, if there's a riot, I can't do anything about that. Right? Trump is just that. And people like Mayor John Lindsay in New York used to do this. He used to say, one of the things that you have to do sometimes is knuckle under. You just have to give up and hand over the cash. There are a lot of people in the Republican Party now saying the, the only way to stop Trump eventually is to give in to him now. I disagree. I don't think that that is a solution. I think that you give in to Trump now and you're going to continue giving in to Trump all the way through. And even after this election is over, all you're going to get, these people are delusional. A lot of the Trump people are delusional. These are the same people who believe that polls show that Trump is beating Hillary. He is not. If he loses to Hillary, they will still claim the election was stolen and that it is the fault of these evil conservatives who didn't show up in proper numbers to vote for Donald Trump. Okay, All's, that, that's all I got on Trump. Now, briefly, on foreign policy, the reason that Trump continues to be a viable candidate is, number one, because he has this kind of New York support, this kind of brash, he's, uh, he's a masculine man support. But part of it is the, the continuing awful of Obama, and it just is. It's, it's, a, it's a long winter of awful, seven years of awful. To, to, yesterday, there was a bombing in Israel. The, the, the Palestinians, backed by Hamas, blew up a bus in Israel. They injured 15 people. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure if anybody's died yet, but, but a number of people were, were injured, obviously. Joe Biden immediately came out and condemned Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, for not sufficiently caving to, to terrorists. Uh, and it's this sort of behavior that leads people to, to Trump. You know, just fine. The system is so terrible. Burn it all down. That's especially true about this new bill that's being pushed through Congress. There's a new bill being pushed through Congress that would allow 9-11 victims' families to sue the Saudi government. So there's a 28-page section of the 9-11 Commission report that's been redacted ever since 9-11. And that victim's report 
and, and that report, they now want to be released. And Congress says, if that report shows Saudi involvement with 9-11, then people who are victims' families should be able to sue the Saudi government. Obama doesn't want that to happen. Here's President Obama explaining. And what about this legislation in the Congress that will allow uh, families to sue the Saudi government and other governments in different circumstances? Exactly. I, I'm opposed because of that second clause in your sentence, and that is this is not just a bilateral U.S.-Saudi issue. Uh, this is uh, a matter of how generally the United States approaches uh, our interactions with other countries. If we uh, open up the possibility that uh, individuals in the United States can routinely start suing other governments, then we are also opening up the United States to being continually sued by individuals in other countries. Okay, so he, he says that this would be terrible because it would open up everybody to being sued. And here's Trump's response to that. Again, this is what keeps Trump viable, is, is crap like Obama. Does Donald Trump believe it's time for us to see these 28 pages? I do. I think we should have seen it a long time ago. Uh, you know, I think I know what it's going to say. It's going to be very, very profound, having to do with Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia's role on the World Trade Center and the attack. And that's very serious stuff. And, you know, I, again, I've said it for a long time. We attacked Iraq. And frankly, by attacking Iraq, they were not the ones that knocked down the World Trade Center. Now, I've been saying that for a long time. Let's see what the papers say. I think they should have been released a long time ago. I think they're finally going to be at least in some form released. But, you know, it's sort of nice to know who your friends are and perhaps who your enemies are. But you're going to see some very revealing things in those papers, and I look forward to reading them. Okay, so again, because the Obama administration is so awful, by contrast, if Trump is only half awful, he's 100% better than the Obama administration. Okay, final thing before we get to things I like. We have to give you our daily John Kasich update. This has now become a thing. Oh, God, no, not John Kasich. Yes, John Kasich. Here is what John Kasich does. He's supposed to be the nicest guy in the race, right? Remember, John Kasich, is the, he's, as he says, the Prince of Light and Hope. Self-description. He actually called himself that. He's the Prince of Light and Hope. Watch how the Prince of Light and Hope deals with a question he doesn't like. The question is, John Kasich, you have won one state. What is going through that pea brain of yours? Governor, if you get to the convention in Cleveland and you have only won Ohio, do you think there'll be no if? There's not. There's no if in there. There'll be a. There'll be when. And listen, at, at the end of the day, I think the Republican Party wants to pick somebody who actually can win in the fall. But if you've only won Ohio, can I finish? I think you answer gonna, the question. I, I'm answering Mike the question the way I want to answer. You want to answer it? No. Here, let you're, me hold that. You're the Here. candidate. Let me ask you. What do you think? I think you should <laughs> answer the question. I'm, Governor. Jeff he, that's right. he takes the microphone off the guy, he takes the, 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 the recorder off the guy, and then asks the reporter the question and then hands the recorder back. He's such a jerk, John Kasich. And, and the fact that he's still sticking around, there's only one reason he's still sticking around, and that's because he's hoping that he'll have enough delegates to put Trump over the top if Trump gets close, and then he'll be the VP candidate. Okay, time for a couple of things I like and then some things I hate. So, things I like. I've mentioned this in passing before, but we've never done it as a thing I like. I grew up on the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You know when I said Hamilton's a crappy musical? It's because, from what I hear, it's garbage. Here's a good musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, one of the great all-time musicals. For folks who haven't seen it, it is just a ray of sunshine. It is a fantastic musical, and it's all about, the entire thing is about, it's, it's really funny. When I was a kid, I used to watch this movie a lot. My parents showed me this movie a lot. And it's, it's, it's a movie about a bunch of backwoodsmen, basically. And at one point, they go and they kidnap a bunch of girls, right, like the Sabine women, and they bring them back, and the girls and the guys end up falling in love, and they all get married. And what's and and so my my parents were over at somebody's house and I was there 
And these people were saying, oh, this is such a sexist movie. It's such a sexist, terrible movie. And my parents called me over and they said, well, what did you learn from this movie? And what I said was, what I learned from this movie is that guys shouldn't be jerks and they have to be civilized by women. That's what this movie is about. This movie is about a bunch of brutal backwoodsmen who are civilized by women. And if they don't interact with women, if women aren't there to train them, if guys are left to their own devices, then they're brutal and they fight and they're chaotic. But if they're trained by women, then they actually become responsible husbands and fathers and people who can build up the West, right? I mean, that's what this movie is about. So here's one of the great numbers. It's part of a great, great number. The, the score is written by Johnny Mercer. The lyrics are terrific. It's, it's beautifully shot. It has the best, the, you know, they, they talk about the dance scenes in Singing in the Rain or American in Paris. This movie legitimately has the best dance scene ever filmed. It's, it's a phenomenal, the, the barn raising scene in this movie is spectacular. You can see it on YouTube. You should just go watch the whole movie. But here's probably the best number in the show. It's called uh, Sobbing Women, and it's because Adam, who's the leader of the family, the oldest brother, played by Howard Keel, he has read from Plutarch, he's read the, the Rape of the Sabine Women, but he doesn't get the purpose of the story. And so he starts, and so he tries to explain what the Rape of the Sabine Women actually is about. <laughs> if you could just get a look at yourselves, you look like a bunch of lovesick bull calves. You're so sweet on those girls, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you go marry him? Oh, sure, just go marry him, as easy as that. You know they'd never let us marry him now in a thousand years. And do like the Romans did with the Sabine women, or Sabine women, or whatever they called them. Those Romans were in the same fix you're in. They was opening up new territory, and women were scarce, just like here. And there was these Sabine women down in town. So what'd the Romans <clears> do? <throat> they went down there, and they carried them off. You can't do as good as a bunch of old Romans. You know, brothers of mine. Of course, this uh, being Oregon and God-fearing territory, you'd have to capture Parson along with them. And them Romans. They're the ones I heard about settled up north of here? No, no, this was in olden days. Read about it here in Millie's book. Oh, book. Why, this is history. This really happened. Tell you about them sobbing women who lived in the Roman days. It seems that they all went swimming while their men was off to graze. Well, a Roman troop was riding by and saw them in their meal my. So they took them all back home to dry. At least that's what Plutarch says. Oh, yes, them women was sobbing, 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 fit to be tied. Every muscle was throbbing, throbbing from that riotous ride. Seems they cried and kissed and kissed and cried all over that Roman countryside. So don't forget that when you're taking a bride. It's a, it's a great, it's a great number. It's very clever. It's in. As you can imagine, they go and they take the women and things do not work out quite as planned. So it's, 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 a, it's a great musical. It's, again, it's just, if, you're, if it's a rainy day and you need to be put in a good mood, this is the musical that you watch. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Okay, a couple of things that I hate. So this is going to become more and more common. There's this, there's this pastor who's now claiming that he went to a Whole Foods. He picked the wrong people to do this to. He went to Whole Foods and he says that he, he's a gay guy and he, and he wanted them to print love wins on a cake. Right, I want them to print love wins on a cake. And then he, said, he took a picture of this, and he says, this is what actually happened. He says, I went to that Whole Foods, and what they came back was this cake, and it said, love wins, F-A-G, right? It says, love wins, you know, curse word for gay people. There are a couple problems with this story. It's supposed to be how terrible people are, right? They're so terrible to the gays, they're, they're going to just ruin your cake. Only one problem. Here is what the company responded, right? This is from Whole Foods, quote, 
our team member wrote Love Wins at the top of the cake as requested by the guest. That's exactly how the cake was packaged and sold at the store. Our team members do not accept or design bakery orders that include offensive language or images. Whole Foods Market has a zero-tolerance policy for discrimination. We stand behind our bakery team member, who is part of the LGBT community, <laughs> and the additional team members from the store who confirmed the cake was decorated with only the message, Love Wins. So in other words, this guy went to the store, didn't know that the person who wrote on the cake was gay, right? And then went home and said, oh, look at these evil, evil religious bigots at Whole Foods. First of all, what an idiot. Has this person ever been to Whole Foods? You want to go to like secular utopia? That's Whole Foods. I mean, more people worship Gaia on Sundays than, than, than go to church and, and talk about Jesus on Sundays at Whole Foods. I mean, it's like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a run for your money between Trader Joel's and Whole Foods for the pagan championship of the grocery store. So the idea that they went to the idea that they went to a Whole Foods and that's what they didn't even go to like they didn't go to Hobby Lobby or something. They went to Whole Foods and you can even see from the cake. I mean, come on, you can see from the cake and put that image back up of the cake real fast. Okay, it's not even in the same writing. Okay, it's not even in the same writing. You can see that, the, that the, the, the word, the curse word, is significantly thinner, right? And you can see that it's not in the same hand. You can see that the, the hand is not the same. It's not written in the same hand. So, yes, it's, the whole thing is ridiculous. But you're going to see more and more of this because when there are no victims, you have to create victims in order to push the narrative. You have to push the narrative. The narrative always has to be forwarded, right? And the, the narrative is gay people incessantly victimized inherently victimized by our evil American system that makes them feel bad about themselves. This is why you've seen hoax racial incidents. This is why you've seen hoax gay and lesbian incidents, people abusing themselves and then taking pictures and putting it on the internet to, to try and show that America is a terrible, horrible society and all the rest. So that's a thing that I hate. Another thing that I hate, but sort of love, sort of love. So there's this rapper named Rick Ross. He's obviously a highly physically attractive fellow. I mean, he, he looks like he looks like the illustrated man from Ray Bradbury, except extremely overweight and saggy. Um, and he is, uh, he's a criminal. And he was invited by the, by the Obama administration to visit the White House for the My Brother's Keeper initiative, right? The My Brother's Keeper initiative aims to keep youths of color out of trouble. I love how the Obama administration wants to end the stereotyping of youths of color being in trouble by having an event specifically targeting youths of color to keep them out of trouble. Makes perfect sense. Well, Rick Ross has an ankle bracelet, right? Because he had a kidnapping and assault charge, and he was invited by the White House there. He still has an ankle bracelet. He was there among Nicki Minaj and Common and Busta Rhymes and Pusha T and DJ Khaled, uh, all of whom, by the way, that, that, uh, except for Nicki Minaj, I believe all of those are, are given names. Busta Rhymes, his last name is Rhymes, and his mom was like, you know what? You're just going to go for it. Your last name's Rhyme. You got a name in Busta, right? I mean, come on. Um, but his, so he's got this ankle bracelet, and Obama's in the middle of speaking, and his ankle bracelet starts beeping in the middle of in the middle of Obama speaking, which is just spectacular. So the hood billionaire was surprised at the sound. And apparently he later posted a picture of himself and DJ Khaled talking about the, the, this, this uh, at the event on his Instagram account. Last year, this guy who was invited to be a good influence, this, this uh, I mean, not to stereotype, but a guy who looks like this on stage, I'm going to go with, you know, he's not inspiring kids to be vice presidents at Chase Manhattan. I'm just going to put that out there. And that has nothing to do with race, okay? White guys who are fat and tattooed like that also not going to be good candidates for, for educating your child. Okay, Rick Ross last year was arrested on kidnapping, assault, and battery charges after allegedly pistol-whipping a groundskeeper at his mansion over money the man supposedly owed him. And so Obama invited him to the White House because that's the way that this works. So we, we have now moved from tragedy to farce here at the Obama White House. And finally, speaking of the final... Tragedy to farce story of the day. 
over in, uh, where is this, South Carolina? I think it's in South Carolina. There's a convicted murderer, and, uh, and the convicted murderer, who's a dude, right, he, uh, his name is Edmonds Tenant Brown IV, which sounds like he's going to inherit a plantation. Instead, he will just spend the rest of his life in prison after killing a Charleston woman. He now wants to be known as Catherine Brown and asked the correction department to help her because, by the way, he doesn't need a transition. He's a her. He thinks he's a her. Obviously, look at this. This is obviously a woman, right? I mean, come on. And this is why, you know, women are routinely killing women. As we know, the women-on-women murder rates are extraordinarily high. It's women who commit most of the crimes. So he pled guilty to strangling a 53-year-old teacher named Mary Lynn Witherspoon. If the women want this guy, by the way, you can have him. I mean, you, you, you want this guy. You want this guy to be part of your crew and you get to talk about how great womanhood is? Fine. It's all yours. State law prohibits the use of state funds for gender-changing operations, but the department provides hormone therapy if the inmate was using the drugs when sent to prison. Apparently, he wants the department to pay for his transition from male to female because we now all have to engage not only in the grand-scale delusion that males become females, we have to pay for it, which is super exciting and wonderful. Okay, just a, a quick note for, for folks on the left who are unbelievably ridiculous. Okay, quick note for you. If you think that men can magically become women, but it takes a womb in order to talk about abortion, you are logically incoherent. If you believe that I, as a man, cannot talk about abortion, but if I thought I was a woman, I could talk about abortion, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's you. Okay, and the, the conversation in America seems to have gone like this. Serve me the cake, if I, if, even if it makes you sin, also, if I want to whip out my schlong next to your three-year-old daughter at a, at a restroom, you have nothing to say about it. That's what leftists say. And conservatives say, no. And leftists say, you are just kooky and irrational and terrible. Yes, we're through the looking glass. And tomorrow we'll find out how far we are through the looking glass because Trump is going to win a big victory. And so we will be here for lamentations and sackcloth and ashes and, and ripping our garments in mourning. And it'll, it'll be a good time all around. So show up. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 